So our scripture reading today is then from Luke chapter 8, uh, verses 22 to 39. Interestingly, so in Luke chapter 8, and from this 22, verse 22 on to the end of the chapter, it's actually one, it's really one story, but with four different stories, four accounts conveying one uh, purpose together. But rather than try to squeeze all of that into one sermon, we'll do two of these accounts uh, this Sunday and two next Sunday. But with these four, uh, these four stories of Jesus' life, Luke does an amazing job of, uh, of showing us once again that Jesus has power over danger, And he has power over demons, and he has power over disease, and he has power over even death itself. And that will come out more and more as you look at these passages. None of these are insignificant issues. It's not that the people going through them are blowing them out of proportion, being, you know, melodramatic, uh, but these are true actual dangers and problems that folks are facing in these passages. They are all serious. They're all life-threatening. They're all truly terrifying. In fact, the first three uh, focus our attention on our three uh, remaining enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, the world, it's a, it's a broken and fallen place, and we see, we'll see today uh, the struggle in the storm Uh, The flesh, we'll see next week a woman just overwhelmed with a debilitating disease that has kept her isolated and excommunicated for years. And the demons, uh, the devil, uh, the demoniac, a man possessed not just by one, not even just by seven, but by a legion of demons. And then finally, death itself. But in all four of these cases, Jesus shows himself to be more powerful than all of them. The first two that we look at today show us reasons, really reasons to fear Jesus. And maybe, kids, maybe you've never really heard or even thought about that. Should we we fear? Are we supposed to be afraid of Jesus? Next week, we'll see reasons to trust Jesus in those two accounts. Now, in reality, both accounts, all four of the stories, show us both of these aspects, Uh, Reasons that we ought to fear Jesus, but also reasons that we ought to trust Jesus. But uh, And so that's the reason for the title. I don't even know if people sing these nursery rhyme songs anymore. Uh, Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? Um, I don't even, does anyone remember that song? So anyway, so that's, uh, that's our title, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Jesus? So would you, uh, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, 
and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on, out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus, uh, Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the, at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with a great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet... The word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So fear is a, a pretty powerful motivator, wouldn't you say? Uh, it can drive you to action, uh, but just as easily it can, it can drive you to inaction. Uh, irrational fears can freeze us and rob us of uh, enjoying the journey that we are on together. Uh, but rational fear uh, can actually protect you and extend that journey. So, you know, irrational fear of heights might keep me from visiting a sick friend on the fifth floor of an apartment building. A rational fear of heights can help me remember to put a harness on when I climb a tree and chop a limb off. 
An irrational fear of disease might keep me from being able to leave my house. A rational fear of disease might keep me from getting my drinking water out of the toilet. So there are rational fears. There are good, there are good motivations for fear. But so much of what we do that is driven by fear uh, isn't usually on the positive side. And it's not necessarily the fear of those things out there. They're more internal fears, aren't they? Fear of failure or the fear of success. Fear of letting others down or the fear of being found out. Fear of being caught. The fear of a bad record or a bad reputation. The fear of being alone. And the fear of being seen. The fear of not being seen. And the, the fear of, of missing out. And it can go on and on and on. And again, sometimes these might begin as healthy fears. But often, not so much. And so, so let's look at these two accounts and see how fear drives two groups of people. Some uh, to awe and a desire to be closer to Jesus and some to suspicion and a desire to have nothing to do with Jesus. So first we look at the fear of danger. You know, when this account starts, uh, it almost sounds like a whim, doesn't it? Like this is just sort of a, Jesus says to his disciples one day, hey, let's go across to the other side of the lake. Now we know that Jesus never does anything on a whim. Um, but it's just, it's all so normal. It's, it's very mundane. It's just the stuff of life. And the reality is that's where life happens 99% of the time. In the normal, mundane, that's when things happen. In fact, it's so mundane that even Jesus is bored with it all. We're told that he takes a nap. He goes into the front of the boat and takes a nap. Now, this isn't something for us to, uh, to just gloss over. I mean, it's not, certainly not the point of the passage, but it is a reminder to us that Jesus was fully human. Everything that you have ever experienced, Jesus experienced, other than sinning. So if you got tired and you have benefited from an afternoon nap, Jesus got tired and benefited from lying down and taking a little nap. Jesus got so tired that he could sleep through a life-threatening storm. Which maybe you're thinking, well, maybe that's, a, maybe that's the God side of him, being able to sleep through it. But I assure you, like people are able to sleep through odd things when... Amy and I were dating. Uh, I would go from Baltimore to Cleveland and spend weekends uh, at her home, and her parents would put a, one of those little roll-out cots on the floor in the basement for me. And apparently one day, one evening, 
there was such a storm outside that there was no less than a half inch of water on the floor in the basement that Amy's dad and mom came down and cleaned up while I slept. <laughs> and so I woke up and the floor was oddly damp uh, and they just marveled that I did not wake up at all. Like I take it as a gift from God. And I would have been standing there in my socks and bare feet in that water. So anyway, you can, it's normal. It's not, it's not beyond human to think that a person could sleep through such a commotion. But we don't want to discount the storm either. This is a real storm. This is a real danger. Their lives are really in danger. The Sea of Galilee is, is basically in a bowl. Like it is surrounded on all sides by hills and mountains that come down to the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember a few weeks ago, talking about the geography of the Sea of Galilee, it's, it is the second lowest body of water on the planet. Like the only lower body of water is the Dead Sea that it feeds. But it is the lowest body of fresh water on the planet. And so winds can regularly come whipping down those mountains and cause storms when it did not seem like a storm was on the horizon. It's not an abnormal thing to happen. Remember that at least four of Jesus' disciples are professional fishermen. It's what they do for a living. In fact, they're not just professional fishermen. This is the lake they fish. Like, this is where they go. I can only imagine what the other disciples were thinking. Like, do you ever notice, like, like if you're in a situation where you're a little scared, and maybe this happens to you kids uh, uh, of all ages, but you're a little scared, but you just kind of keep one eye on mom and dad. And as long as they're not freaking out, no matter how scared you are, you're like, okay, I mean, this is frightening, but mom and dad seem to have it under control. I mean, imagine you're in a boat with four seasoned fishermen, and these four are scared to death. You would think, okay, well, good. So this is the time to panic then, right? This is, this is a perfect time to panic. And so they are in real physical danger. The boat is being swamped. It is going to sink they will most likely drown. At least the ones who aren't fishermen will drown in this. And so they go to Jesus. Master, Master, we are perishing. We are dying. And then we're told that Jesus gets up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. Now, as every man, and maybe every woman, but I'm not a woman, so I don't really know, but every man knows that's not the unusual part. Rebuking inanimate, non-sentient things is a normal, it's a daily activity for men. I have rebuked stubborn uh, oil pan drain plugs. I have rebuked stubborn rotors. I have, I have rebuked so many things. And if they could feel the energy of the wrath coming out of me, they would repent. <laughs> but they're not alive. 
they don't respond. Usually I respond and make the project a little harder than it needed to be. It's not strange. And maybe, did you ever watch, uh, have any of you watched those Alone series uh, on the History Channel? Like in season two, the runner-up, if you remember the guy Larry Roberts, like he has a moment toward the end of the season that he literally does rebuke the wind. Do you remember this? Like he's screaming at the wind and at his, uh, his pile that's not getting lit and just in a rage at it. And oddly, the wind did not let up. Now think about this. If it had, wouldn't that be a little frightening? Like if you, if you did yell at the wind and it suddenly stopped, it was like, oh man, my bad. Like that would be that would be pretty frightening. Like Jesus stands up, rebukes the wind and the waves, and they cease. And there is calm. I read Jesus' question to his disciples. It's certainly a rebuke, but I think it's a tender rebuke. I think he looks at them, everything's calm, and he just says, where's your faith? What happened, guys? It was just like a reminder of like, uh, we were all in this boat together, right? Did you you forget that we kind of have a job to do and that like the Father's not going to let something like this happen? What what happened, guys? I think it's a it's a it's a rebuke, but a friendly rebuke because they did in fact go to Jesus. I mean, they woke Jesus up and thought, well, I mean, there's nothing we can do. At least he can I don't know, tell us a parable while we go down for the last time. He can at least calm us. Yes, it might have been a little on the overdramatic side. We are dying. But they were dying. And then the fear of the danger changes, doesn't it? Because then they realize there's something more dangerous than danger. And he's right here in the boat. And they begin to fear the one who can command absolute obedience. We're told that they were afraid that they marveled. And again, I love how Luke, like Luke finishes this with an unanswered question. I love how he does this over and over in his account of the gospel. He just asks the question and you and I are forced to wrestle with it. Who is this then? That he even commands the winds and water and they obey him. This man who gets tired and takes naps commands nature and it obeys him. He can be none other than God. And so it's a good question for us to ask ourselves. What what will you do then face with this Jesus? He's worthy of our fear. 
of our awe? Will your fear of Jesus drive you toward him? To worship him? To submit to him? Or will your fear of Jesus drive you away from him? Luke doesn't go beyond the question. He just leaves it there for us. We get to the other side of the lake, to a region called Gerasenes. It's a region almost entirely, if not entirely, populated by Gentiles. We know this because of the pigs that are being tended. Uh, Jewish folks did not tend pigs. They were considered unclean according to the, uh, the civil and ceremonial law. And so there's these pigs. But now again, there's this a genuinely a genuine situation that requires fear. I mean, the town is afraid. I imagine even the man is afraid of these demons. Jesus is met immediately by a man possessed by a demon. No, that's not even accurate, is it? A man possessed by so many demons that they call themselves legion. How how horrifying. How absolutely debilitating. This man used to live in a house. We're told that. So presumably, he at least had some sort of family. So either he was a father and a husband, or he was a brother and a son, but he has a family that he used to be a part of. But he's not with them anymore. He can't live in his house anymore. He lives among the tombs. He lives among the dead, which means that these demons are clever enough to just keep him in a perpetual state of uncleanness. He lives among the dead so that now, even if there were people that wanted to help him, if they get close to him, then they become unclean. So here is this man. He is stuck in this perpetual life of uncleanness. And if that's not enough, they keep him unclothed. He runs around naked. And ever since the fall, ever since our fall into sin, nakedness, all throughout Scripture, it is a picture of shame and a lack of dignity. And here's this man. So he's not only unclean, he's unclothed, just kept in this perpetual state of of shame. Again, people who might want to help him would be turned off by that immediately. They wouldn't go near a man running around the tombs naked. Sometimes they try to bind him, put chains on him and shackles. And even those, the demons, would give him the strength to break. He would break the bonds, run off into the desert. And so he's unclean, he's unclothed, he's uncontrollable. And so he's uncared for. He's just that guy that you would warn your kids about. He's that guy that just the stories of him would help you keep your kids from breaking curfew. He's that guy. Don't go near him. Don't go to the tombs. Don't. There's a guy. He's not right. You don't want to be out at night with him. This man, he runs to meet Jesus. I'm just always fascinated by the demon's response to Jesus' presence. They run straight to him. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of God? 
Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I beg you, do not torment me. Isn't it interesting that from the demon we get the answer to the question we were left with in the storm? Who is this then that commands the winds and the water and they obey him? This is Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. It's beautifully put together. Now, I admit, I don't understand either all the negotiations. I don't understand why Jesus allowed the back and forth with the demons. There are other times the demons are talking and he says, be quiet, and they're quiet. But this time he allows this interaction with this group of demons. They beg Jesus not to send them into the abyss, which is the final uh, eternal resting place for Satan and all of his demons. They ask Jesus uh, if he would then send them into this large herd of pigs instead. So if for no other reason it illustrates to us the power and the numbers of these demons. Because these demons who are occupying this one man take over an entire herd of pigs and drive them into the lake. I've always wondered about that. Like, was that intentional? Because it seems like now they're, they're lost. Like what they didn't want to happen ended up happening. And I can only assume that the drive system of humans is different than the drive system of pigs and when they got in there they were like what this is totally different i don't i don't even know what controls what in here and off they went into the lake never to be heard from again but no matter how much power we see in these demons whether through just the stories of this man's uh, horrible life or witnessing what they did to the pigs just like with the storm the power of jesus is even greater uh, the herdsmen run back to town. When the townsfolk come out to investigate, they come and they come to Jesus, and we're told they find the man sitting at his feet, clothed and in his right mind. So this man who was uncontrollable sits in full control of his faculties. This unclothed man is now clothed. He's sitting at Jesus' feet. He's washed. He's cleansed. He's healed he has been saved and what is their response fear fear again they fear the one who commands obedience they fear this one who can command demons and they obey and for the second time people are confronted with the power of Jesus they are rightly Afraid, but they wrongly respond. It's amazing the testimony about this man's healing. We're told that uh, those who had seen it in verse 36 told them how the demon possessed man had been healed. That word healed is the Greek word that also is regularly translated saved. 
the townsfolk saw the man and gave testimony of how this man was saved. And so they asked Jesus to leave. They're so afraid of that kind of power, they'd rather he leave. What is it? What are they afraid of? Is it, is it superstition? Maybe it's, maybe it's the, he's challenging the status quo. Maybe life was easier when we knew what to expect from this guy. We could just avoid him. Now, now he's healed. And what is this? Like, what is the value of one man's soul? Jesus puts it value, its value on an entire herd of pigs. So economically, like, they're wondering, is that really the cost? Do we have to, to is all of the status quo going to be upset by this guy? I don't know what it is. It's some combination of these, but they don't want Jesus to, to stay. They ask him to leave. It's right to fear the power of God. But will your fear of Jesus drive you to reverential awe and worship and submission or to self-protection and avoidance? This man is healed and all he wants is to come with Jesus. It seems like such a beautiful request, isn't it? I just, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no. And just like when he raised the widow's son, from the dead, and it says, and he gave him back to his mother. Here this man is saved, and he gives him back to his house. I mean, who knows how many years has this man been away? And he says, no, go home. Go home. Go and declare how much God has done for you. The townsfolk might have thought they could be rid of Jesus' influence just by asking him to leave, but it's just not that easy, is it? Because Jesus has a witness now. And though Jesus won't be there, one who's been saved by him has been left. And there's just no getting away from people who have been affected by the love of God for them. Jesus has a witness, and again, if the first story ends on a question, who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him, this section ends with a wording that Luke won't let you even doubt who this Jesus is. And maybe, maybe you picked up on it. Jesus tells the man, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And the man obeys. He went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus says, go tell everyone what God has done for you, and he does. He goes and tells everyone what Jesus did for him. So what about you? What are, what are you afraid of? Maybe it's externals, unknowns. Futures, storms, trials. Maybe you're in the middle of it. Maybe it feels like you're, you're just, you, you are going under. It is, there's just, and it feels like no matter how much you pray, Jesus seems to be asleep somewhere. Maybe it's more internal. 
It's not that you look at your circumstances or the things going on in your life, but when you are forced into those quiet moments, when you accidentally leave your phone somewhere and you don't have music playing and you're forced to be quiet and you hate that because it forces you to be with yourself. And you have to look inside. And every time you look inside, all you see is this unclean, unclothed, uncontrollable sinner. And you're ashamed and you feel powerless. Jesus is the one who commands and creation obeys. Jesus has conquered the world and the flesh and the devil himself. Will you worship him or will you ask him kindly to leave? Let's pray. Jesus, you who speak to the wind and the waves and they obey, you know everything we're facing externally. You know the frightening things in our lives, the unknowns. Unknowns about health, unknowns about our future. There are times that we are just swamped with our fears. But you are our refuge and strength. You are a very present help in times of trouble. So we need not fear. Jesus, you... You can command a legion of demons. Certainly, you can cleanse us from our sin. You can wash us and make us whole. You can save us. Give us that fear that drives us to you in humble repentance and faith to trust you. Please never, never go away from us. Amen.